This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Would you join me as we pray? What a gift it is, Lord, to be able to stand in your presence and to take this space from a busy and exciting, fun weekend to simply be with you and to be with good friends and to, to share on this journey together. We believe, we trust, Lord, that you have been working in advance of this time right now. Lord, that you actually have something that you want to guide us into and speak to us in. And so right now I ask on behalf of my friends in this room, Lord, that you would be uh, making us sensitive to whatever it is that you would want to speak to us. Uh, One of the great miracles, Lord, is that wherever we come in on this journey and in a room this size, we come from so many places, the miracle is that you want to speak to each of us uniquely right now. So would you continue to guide and lead this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to church, everybody. Wow, that was, that was it's powerful. Yeah, I can feel the energy. Uh, welcome to church, everybody. Hey, it is so good to be with you today. If it's your first time, uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I'm going to guide our journey together for the next 35 minutes or so, and I will be the one that we wrap our time up with together. Uh, I want to encourage you, sit back, make yourself comfortable. Uh, our goal as a church is to, to knock down any barrier that would be standing between you and connecting with God. And so whatever that looks like for you, if you want to grab some coffee in the lobby, grab it and bring it in. You want to kick your shoes off, kick them off. We simply just want you to be able to connect with God, and we want to be the church that helps you do that. Uh, and there are a ton of ways we like to do that, but one way we want to get everybody on the same page each week is uh, we give you a program, and inside of that program are a few things you're going to want. One would be this card that says start here. Uh, you can put your name and email address on that. We're constantly looking for better ways to serve you as a pastoral team, and so I'm going to be doing a survey with you at the very end of our time together. One survey question to help us do that more, so we're asking everybody to fill that out. So if nothing else, you can help us serve you better in the weeks and months to come. Uh, We also love to have prayer requests on there so we can pray for you and answer prayers. The other thing are your teaching notes, Uh, and I got a little excited last service, so I was like throwing things, so my teaching notes fell back here, but these are your teaching notes. They have fill in the blank spots and the Bible verses you can use and uh, some place just to write down your thoughts, so go ahead and get those ready as well. And if you missed last week or if you're new with us today, We are in week two of a series that we're calling Friending. And last week I told you the story about being in high school and uh, taking, if you were here, taking those big frozen dead fish to a high school welcome back dance and my friends and I throwing the fish into the pool. Remember, so they were staring up at everybody and that wasn't enough. So then we threw the fish into the auditorium where everyone was dancing and, and everyone ran and I almost got suspended, but I was just asked to leave, which was fantastic. And, and one of my friends on Facebook, who's part of our church community, said to me, Kevin, great message, really liked it. I especially want to thank you for giving my high schoolers so many ideas about how to get in trouble. That's really helpful. So uh, if you're here and you are junior high, high school, uh, even kind of early college age, I want to just be very clear. I have two types of stories I tell. Some are prescriptive, which means do what I do and it'll help you connect with God. Most of the stories I tell from high school are descriptive, which means don't do what I do and you will connect with God. Okay, so no need to Facebook me anymore about that. You've been warned. Uh, But our series uh, basically kicks off like this. I believe that like me and my friends with the fish, we can trace back almost every single bad decision we made in childhood and in life. We can trace it back to either being with someone or doing it because of someone. The most of the things we did, we either did with people or because of people. 
that were negative, that kind of make for funny stories. And the other side is also true. The majority of the things we did that have been positive in our life, we either did with other people or because of other people. People seem to be the common thread in shaping the direction of our lives, which is why I wanted to dive into this series on friendship. And we're going to spend five or six weeks talking about this from all sorts of different angles and digging into it because I believe this. I believe that the friends that you and I choose are possibly, possibly the single greatest factor on this earth for determining the impact of our lives and the trajectory, the direction of our lives. Sociologists say that you and I are the average of our five closest friends. So our marriage is kind of in the middle of the five people we think are our closest friends. Our finances are probably right in the middle of our five closest friends. When it comes to parenting, uh, we have some friends we look up to and some friends who look up to us. We're probably somewhere right in the middle. When it comes to our morality, we generally surround ourselves with people right around us, some who we look up to, some who look up to us. Friendship, friendship, maybe more than anything else, in our world today is the greatest factor in shaping the impact that our life will have. It impacts our marriage, our finances, our, 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 our parenting. It, in, it impacts our vocation and our calling. It shapes the impact and the direction, the trajectory of our lives. And because God knows us and because God loves us, God talks a lot about friendships. And so we talked last week about our key uh, passage for this entire series, which comes out of the book of Proverbs. And if you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, Proverbs was a book of the Bible written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was a king in the ancient world, and uh, God loved Solomon. So God said to Solomon, I will give you whatever you want. Think about that. Think about God saying to you, I'll give you anything you want. Solomon said this, give me wisdom. I want wisdom. So God gave him wisdom, and, and people traveled from all over the ancient world just to, to sit at Solomon's feet. He was, he was that guy. If he was on Twitter, he would have millions of followers because everything he said, just those short phrases were so power-packed. And Solomon wrote this book called Proverbs, which Proverbs basically means generally speaking. If you're a betting man, uh, playing the odds, nine out of ten times, if you do what this book says, you will get what this book says you will get. So if you want to play the odds, he's saying this. If you want to have the best life, the most successful life in every area, do these things and you will increase your chances of having that kind of life. And he says this about friendships in Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 20. Solomon says, if you walk with the wise— you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Typically speaking, Solomon says, if you want to have a successful marriage, surround yourself with people who are successful in their marriage. And just by the very nature of being around them, of rubbing shoulders with them, of of sitting with them and talking to them and listening and watching them interact, just by the very nature of being with wise people, you will have a better marriage. If you want to get out of debt and have financial freedom, he says, surround yourself with people who aren't in debt, but who are experiencing freedom. And just by being around these people, you will kind of glean from them. It's contagious. You will will find wisdom. If you're you're in some sort of kind of crazy pattern that you can't break, an addictive pattern or some sort of thing that you can't break, he says, surround yourself with people who have broken free from those patterns. And by being around them, by watching them, by rubbing shoulders with them, it it will change you. Walk with the wise, and you will, generally speaking, be wise. You will have a successful life. But the opposite is also true. He says, a companion of fools suffers harm. And I translated it this way last week. I said, if you, if you hang out with idiots long enough, eventually you're going to be an idiot. It's just the way it goes. Or, at the very least, you will do something idiotic. 
And we all know that. When you walk with idiots long enough, you throw fish in a school dance. That's just the way that life generally goes. And here's why this series is so important, I think, for us as we head into the fall, as our kids are going back to school, as we're, we're getting kind of ramped back up and heading into a busy time of life. I believe this series, maybe more than anything else, could be a game changer for you. This isn't a marriage series, but I'm telling you, if you surround yourself with wise people who are doing marriage well, it will change your marriage. It's not a money series, but I'm telling you, if you surround yourself with friends who are doing money well, you'll get better financially. It's not a series about, about taking your dream and turning it into a reality, but if you surround yourself with people who have, who have had a dream, whether it was uh, a work dream or a family dream or a ministry dream, if you surround yourself with people who have taken a dream and made it a reality— Chances are, just by being around them, your dreams will begin to take root and become a reality. I believe friendships are so powerful in our lives for shaping us that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this claim, and this is our theme for the entire series, our thought for the entire series. If you show me your friends, then with startling accuracy, I can show you your future. If you show me your friends— with startling accuracy, I will be able to show you your future because our friends shape the trajectory and the impact of our lives. And next week, and for the few weeks after that, we're going to talk about what kind of friends am I looking for in relationships. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about what kind of friend do I want to be in order to have the kind of friends that I'm looking for in relationships. And so I was digging into it, and I found that there are really two things that any of us can do to ensure that we are the kind of friend that other people want to be friends with as we take this friending journey. And anyone can do these two things. They're not hard to understand, and yet we tend to pull away from them for a variety of reasons, partially because friendship is risky business. As I was exploring the first thing, I, I started to look at Jesus because, listen, we're at church, and Jesus is always a good place to start, especially when you're a pastor. So I began to look at Jesus' life, and uh, I was studying the book of Mark, which is my favorite biography of Jesus' life. And I got to something that, that the author says in Mark chapter 3, which, which sparked an idea in my head. And before we, we talk about that Bible verse— I want to give some backstory. In Mark 1 and 2, Jesus is gaining popularity. Uh, Jesus, just a few days before this takes place, Jesus uh, went into a town, and as the sun was going down, this whole village brought people out to Jesus, and he was healing everybody, and he was, he was teaching, and, and it was incredible. So Jesus is gaining celebrity status. Everywhere Jesus goes now, villages, whole villages are following him. They're leaving food behind. There are times in the story of Jesus' life where, where like thousands of people are gathered together, and it's nighttime, and they have no food. Why? Because he's so popular. They're like, there goes Jesus, and they just take off and start running after him. He gets in boats sometimes, and he goes to a side of the lake. People see him in the boat from a distance, and they start running. Can you picture this? Running around to get to Jesus. He's, he's gaining celebrity status. Everybody at this point wants a piece of Jesus. They're trying to get on the Jesus train. So popular. And then we pick up the story in Mark chapter 3, and it says, Jesus, in the height of his popularity, went up on the mountainside, and he called to himself those who he wanted, and they came to him, And then he appointed 12. We know these guys as the disciples or the apostles. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. And I'm interested that it doesn't say he called 12 together and said, here's a book about me. I want you to read it. That comes later. It's the Bible. He doesn't say, here's my bio. Here's all the great stuff I've done. Learn it. Study me. He says, I want you to be with me. He doesn't say, 
I'm pretty popular. I'm kind of a big deal. I know you want a piece of me. Let's connect on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Facebook at The Real Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that. That's why The Real Jesus Christ. I thought that was so funny. When I wrote that, I laughed out loud in my office. He, but he doesn't, I did, I did. But he doesn't say that. Look at what he says. He says, I just want to be together with you. He called 12 so that they could be with him. He says, I want to be, I want to be present with you. I want you to be present with me. Let's walk places together. Let's sit around a campfire and talk. Let's go camping together. Let's, let's go on boat rides and go fishing together. Let's have adventures together. And then let's, let's, let's just enjoy the relationship. And here's what I, I learned from Jesus as I was studying Mark chapter 3. Authentic friendships happen when we connect face-to-face, not thumbs-to-thumbs. Thumbs-to-thumbs are okay for text messaging. Thumbs-to-thumbs are okay for Facebook messaging and tweeting. Tweeting. <laughs> Too much of one gets you the other. But thumbs-to-thumbs are not the way to build authentic relationships. Instead, like Jesus, we need to learn how to be present with people in the moment, together. A survey came out recently that said that kids are actually more dissatisfied with their parents' social media use than parents are with their kids' social media use. And I want to be clear, this does not mean that parents that we're using social media more than our kids are, but it simply means this, they're kids. When they want us, they want us now. When they're watching a cartoon and they turn around and say, Mommy, did you see what happened? And Mommy says, Hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm pinning something. This is going to change the world. This recipe is amazing. <laughs> they get frustrated with us. They say, Dad, 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 let's go out and play ball. I want to play ball right now. And you say, Hold on, I got, I got to check a few more emails on my phone. They get frustrated with us because kids, all they want, they crave mom and dad to be present. Kids, studies are showing, don't even want us to be perfect. They just want us to be present. And I think the same is true for friendships. And I think there are really two types of friendships, or two types of, of, of being present that are powerful. The first is there's power in being physically present. Something happens when we take time to physically, in the midst of our busy lives, our busy schedules, just be together. Uh, Maddie got an award at the end of the last school year uh, for Citizen of the Year. And, and I'm not bragging, it just is a story, okay? So, uh, but I'm kind of bragging. But... She got this award, and, uh, and so we walked into the cafeteria area where she was going to get an award, and I was being all dad-like, you know, pretty proud, because I never got awards. I got suspended, not awards. <laughs> and I looked over, and, and Pastor Ron and Monica were there, and my friend Angela was there, and, and friends were there to celebrate that moment with us. There's something powerful that happens when, when I say to you, I want to be with you at your kid's sporting event. I want to be with you when they get an award. There's something powerful in physical presence. There's something powerful when a friend just stops by the office for no other reason than just to say hi, not to follow up on a lead, not to, not to, to make a deal, but just to, just to say hi. Isn't there something powerful when you go to a friend's house on Saturday morning and you bring them coffee just to, just to see how they're doing and check in as they start their weekend? A text is okay. A text is okay, but there's, there's something powerful that happens with physical presence. I love Sonoma State University. I'm an alumni of Sonoma State, and I was invited to come back to their first week of school to speak at their first worship service a week and a half ago. And one of the things I love is I love walking into the freshman dorms in the first week of school. 
because the freshman dorms are full of people from all over our country who don't know each other from Adam. And so what happens on the first week of school is friends become unlikely kind of uh, buddies. I, I remember my first year of school, my freshman year, my twin brother and I went to Sonoma together. We were dorm mates, and we became friends with the guys right next door to us. It was a raver uh, from Oakland who, on the third day, I'm not making this up, on the third day, the sheriff's department came and arrested him and took him out, and we didn't see him for a week. So there was him. Uh, and then there were, there were two other guys who were, who were drug dealers, dealing weed and some other stuff stuff, and they had people coming in all hours of the night, and there was me, a brand new Christian, and we became close friends. Why? We didn't have any other friends, right? When you go to college, you just, you just kind of meet people because you don't have anybody, and we throw the nets out wide, and we form all sorts of big friendships, and I love walking onto campus the first week because I see all these people, totally unlikely friends, all coming together, but isn't it true that as we get older, our friendship circles that at one point were so wide tend to get smaller and smaller and smaller. When we get married, we think, well, I need to be with other married people, which shrinks it down. And then we have kids, and we think, well, I need to be with people who have kids at the same stage, and it shrinks it down. And then we, we get busy with work, and it's like, I don't have time for friends, and it, it shrinks it down. And we think, well, I need to spend time with my wife and my kids, or my husband and my kids, and so it shrinks it down, and we get smaller and smaller and smaller until we wake up one day in our 40s and our 50s, and we say, I used to have 15, 20 friends that I would just hang out with, and now I don't have anybody And the truth is, for a lot of us, the idea of being physically present with people, it feels like a a risk, because it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take time, and we just feel like we don't have time, and we wonder, is it really a good return on investment? But I'll say this, I believe, and I think we're going to explore this more and more in this series, I believe that this drift that we have into adulthood, where we drift towards independence and isolation and autonomy, I believe it's actually limiting what God wants to do in our lives because our friends are actually the ones who are going to shape us in our marriage. Our friends are going to shape us in our career. Our friends are going to shape us in, in finding our dreams and capturing our dreams. And if we let our circles get smaller and smaller and smaller, we're actually limiting what God wants to do in our lives through friendship. So we have to be, we have to be open. I want to say this, if you don't have five, six, seven, ten, close friendships, then one, you're like me. We're in this together. But two, I believe that we're not experiencing all of what God wants for our lives because God loves us, and I think that friendships are the thing that God wants to use to to draw us close. The second power in presence is there's a power in emotional presence. There's power in emotional presence. About three months ago, I was at the airport. Uh, Maria and the kids had gone to Chicago. I was going to meet them there. And I love going to the airport by myself for a number of reasons. If you have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, you know at least a few of those reasons. <laughs> but one of the reasons I love going to the airport by myself is I love to people watch. And when I'm, I'm by myself, I can, I can people watch. Does anybody else like to do that? You just kind of you, you stare, and then you get that awkward look, you know? Like, I wasn't looking at you. I wasn't looking at you. So I'm, I'm super creepy people watching one morning. And I look up, and there's a dad and a daughter. And she's got to be maybe, I don't know, three or four. And they've got this little ball to get out of her backpack. And they're rolling a ball. There's three chairs, and they're rolling the ball back and forth for like 45 minutes, just taking this ball, rolling it back and forth, laughing, joking. The ball goes rolling. Dad goes and runs after it. He throws it this way. Daughter, it's like she's, he's playing fetch with her. Goes and runs after it. <laughs> and they're having the best time ever. 6.30 in the morning. And then I look over, and there's a mom and a daughter. She's got to be in junior high, would be my guess. And I, and I look at mom, and mom, two different families. Mom has her headphones in, and she's on Facebook for like an hour, scrolling through. And daughter's got her headphones on the big ones, you know? It's like, she's a raven. Mm, mm, uh. <laughs> so lame, so lame. 
headphones on. She's using her iPad. She's playing a game, whatever it is, Candy Crush. I don't know. She's doing something for an hour. And I thought to myself, both of these parents are physically present with their children. But man, the outcome is worlds apart, isn't it? For the one who was emotionally present, he built memories with his daughter. They goofed around. They laughed. He set himself up for success on an airplane ride. It, it was a good time. But the mom and the daughter had an opportunity to bond for an hour and a half, just the two of them. And it was like, it was like that time never even happened. See, we have to be both physically present and emotionally present. And I have been realizing in my own life that I can be physically close to someone, but emotionally be miles away from them. I began to wonder how many times I, I do this. How many times I do this? And, and it was a little bit startling, a little discouraging. Here's an example. Uh, out in the lobby sometimes, uh, I find myself hugging someone and then looking over their shoulder to see who else I need to hug. Like, I'm physically hugging you, and yet, because I'm the pastor, I think everyone wants to hug me. I don't know why. why. It's like, whatever. You're not my wife. Never wants to hug me. She does, though. But I'm looking over my shoulder, or someone's talking to me in the lobby, and this is just confessions. And, and I find myself kind of like edging away, thinking, well, there's someone over here. I can feel them breathing on me with that coffee breath. They want to talk to me, too. And, and I'm physically with you, but I'm emotionally with them. And I thought, I need to... I need to change my mind around the way I view being present. I can't just be physically present anymore. I need to be emotionally present. But we have such a hard time with this. And here's why. And Gary, this is a big one. You're going to want to take notes. This is, this is deep right here, okay? Here's why we have such a hard time being emotionally present with the person in front of us. Because if I'm emotionally present with the person in front of me, I can't be present with the person who's not in front of me. And we live in a culture of multitasking, multimedia, everything's going all the time, and here's what happens. It makes us schizophrenic in our presence. So, so I have someone, uh, my husband, my wife, sitting in front of me, but I'm thinking about work, or I'm thinking about my friends, or I'm thinking about my kids, or I'm out with my friends, but I'm thinking about my spouse, and I'm getting on Facebook to see what's going on. We live in a culture that is, is so multitasking, and we're trying to be everyone to everyone. And what happens is we're, we're no one to anyone. This is what it looks like, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but isn't it true that for some of us in this room, and I know it is, the last thing we do when we lay down in bed is we hop on our phone and we look at Facebook. Is that the last thing you do? Now think about this, ladies. You've got a stud of a husband laying in bed next to you, because new life men are studs. You've got your stud of a husband laying in bed next to you, and you're on Facebook. Are you kidding me? Or, or guys, you've got your beautiful wife. Your, she's your wife laying in bed next to you, and, and we're looking at fantasy football. Listen, there are a hundred other things you could be doing in that moment. That would be better. But what? We, we have such a hard time being emotionally present with the one we're with because we always wonder, well, what's going on with the people that I'm not with? And so we're scattered and we're schizophrenic and it's robbing us. It's robbing us. We want to be present with everyone all the time. And in the end, we're not present with anybody any of the time, even when we're physically with them. And so I was reading through the book of Colossians where the author Paul, he gives us a clue about how to stop worrying about the people that we're not with and simply focus on the person that we are with. In the beginning of his letter uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul says this. He's talking about Jesus and how big and how vast and how wonderful Jesus is. And he says, in Jesus, all things were created. That Jesus created all things. He created the heavens and he created the earths. Jesus created the things that are visible and the things that are, that are invisible. 
whether it's thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, Jesus created all things. They've been created through Jesus. They've been created for Jesus. And this is the part that really struck me. It says in verse 17, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let that sink in for a second, because I don't know if, if we catch this. Paul's saying this, when we understand that Jesus is the one that holds all things together, we don't have to be concerned about everything that's going on in the world around us, because we ultimately can't hold it all together anyway. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. And because Jesus is actually taking care of everything else in the world, he created it, it's created for him, and he's holding it together. Because he created everything else in the world, it actually frees us up not to worry about what everyone else is doing all the time. It frees us up when we're at work to be at work and not worry about what our kids are doing at school because Jesus is ultimately taking care of them at school. It frees us up when we leave work and go home to be, to be fully emotionally engaged with our spouse because we trust that Jesus is actually taking care of work even though I'm not, I'm not there. How would it change your life? How would it change your marriage or your friendships or your parenting if, if we truly were present with the person in front of us all the time? If we said, you know what, from here on out, whoever I'm with, I'm going to be fully present with them in the moment. And I'm not going to be on social media figuring out what's going on over there. I'm not going to be checking my email when I'm at home. I'm not going to be, uh, when, I'm, when I'm with my, my friends, I'm not going to be worried about what my kids are doing. And when, when I'm with my kids, I'm not going to worry about what my, my friends are doing. How, how would it change our lives if we were totally present, physically and emotionally, with the one we're with every moment of the day? Man, I think it would be incredibly freeing. Our marriages would be better. Our parenting would be better. Our friendships would go to a whole nother level. The second thing we want, if we want to be the kind of friend that other people want to engage with, is we need to take the risk and choose to be transparent. We need to choose to be transparent. There's a new phobia that's come out recently, and I don't know if you've, you've heard of this, but it's a new phobia, and it's growing really quickly. It's the phobia of talking on the telephone. People are terrified these days of talking on the telephone, and here's why. On the phone, you can't control the conversation. See, when, when we're on Facebook, we can control uh, our persona and what's going on. When someone texts us, we can think about what we want to say, and we can craft an excuse, or we can craft a response and send it back. But on the phone, if they ask us something and we don't have an answer for them, we can't just say, I think, it's, I think it's cutting out, I need to get AT&T. We can't do that. We actually have to talk to them. So here's what people are doing these days. It, it, it's a study. It was fascinating. People are actually, I know we would never do this, but when someone calls their cell phone, uh, they look at the number— they don't, they don't end the call because then they know people will know that they've screened their call. So they just let it ring, put it in the corner. And then the minute they get the voicemail, they check the voicemail and then they wait the appropriate amount of time, like eight to 10 minutes so that you know you're not being screened. And then we text back an answer to the question that the person asked us on voicemail because we're terrified of talking on the phone. And the truth is, what we're afraid of is, is transparency. And, and I want to be totally honest the reason why I think we pull away from transparency is, is an actual, honest reason. There's not a single person in this room who hasn't tried to be transparent with a friend or a loved one who hasn't gotten burned. You can't make it through junior high without that happening. We all get burned. We've all had a friend where we, we opened up to them, we shared with them, and 
for whatever reason, the relationship kind of got strained and they gossiped about us or they used something against us that we shared with them. We, we all invested, many of us have invested in a marriage and then had that relationship burn us, whether it ended in divorce or just got into a big fight and they used that vulnerability against us. Every single one of us who has chosen to be transparent in life knows the risk of transparency, don't we? There is a risk we could get burned. It is risky business to be transparent But we also know this, friendships only go so far if we choose to keep it on the surface. You can only get so far in a friendship by telling how great everything is, how great your life is, how great your family is, how great your job is. It only gets us so far. A friend of mine says that's, that's, um, and it's not in a bad way, but he says that's our greeting in the lobby. How you doing? Everybody's great. It's like everyone's on Prozac when they walk into church in the lobby. Like, I'm great, man. I'm good. I'm relaxed. No way. No way. And listen, the lobby's probably not the right place to to open up and share your deepest, darkest hurts and pains. That's, That's an appropriate not an appropriate place for that, probably. Uh, we have other pastors who want to talk to you if that is an appropriate place for you. That's a joke. <laughs> you can email me at justin at newlifepetaluma.com <laughs> to tell me how insensitive that was. But let's be honest. We impress people by sharing our strengths, but we connect with people by sharing our weaknesses. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And I want to say this, before we start looking for the right kind of friends, it's worth us at least exploring what it would mean to be the right kind of friends. Investing in authentic relationships that will change our lives, that will have an impact and a trajectory-shaping effect on our lives is risky business. Investing our time is risky because we don't know if the friendship's going to work out. We don't know if it'll be a good return on investment. It's risky. Uh, Being emotionally present is risky because if I'm present with you, I can't be present with everyone else. It's risky. Being transparent is risky. What if I'm authentic with someone and they don't like the authentic me? What if they're authentic with me and I don't like the authentic them? What What if I share something with a friend and they use it against me? There is risk involved with authentic friendship. Wouldn't you say this is true? The greater the risk in life, the greater the reward. For those of you who, who had a dream of starting a business and you, you took that dream and you made it a reality and now that business is thriving, wouldn't you say it was a risk to start that business? But the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Or how many of us who got married? Getting married is a risk. It is a risk. There's no guarantees. And yet, the marriages that go, that go well, we would say, man, it was a great risk, but the greater the risk in marriage, the greater the reward. Same is true for parenting. Parenting is a huge risk. It doesn't come with a manual. But the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And the same is true with friendships. The more we press into friendship, the more we strive towards authentic relationships with other people, it is a risk. And the more we press in, the greater the risk. But the more we press in, the greater the reward. Because God can use friendships to shape the impact and the trajectory of our lives for years to come. God can use real, authentic friendships to 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 make our marriage everything it could be, to make our, fr- our, our parenting everything it could be. It could be a friendship that God uses to help you break free from that pattern in your life that's just killing you. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. And it's friendships, risky friendships, that God wants to reward in some incredible ways. And so I want to I give us two ways to take a small step to invest both our physical time and our emotional time, and to be transparent. Two small ways to take a, a next step in that. And on your card that says start here on the back of it, it says, I want to apply to these teaching by. 
And one of them is this. I want to invite us to take a few minutes uh, and think about who are a couple people who I would want to spend an hour a week with just hanging out. And I want to invite you to, to call them up this week and to say, hey, do you want to grab coffee with me once a week for the next month? Let's just hang out once a week for an hour, grab coffee for the next month, and see what God does. It's a risk because you're saying, hey, we're going to actually spend time together and talk. And, and listen, guys, um, I know for us, that, that seems weird, right? Like, guys don't go grab coffee with each other that often. Uh, I get that. I get that. But no man is an island. And the truth is, this whole isolation thing that happens with men as we get older, it's actually destroying us, and it's hurting us, and it's hurting our families. And so I want to say, let's go against the culture, and let's actually form some real, authentic friendships. So what if you grab coffee for once a week, for an hour? Or I, I know some moms who do this. When their older kids go to school, uh, they take their babies in their strollers, uh, or they don't have kids at home, and they go for a walk for an hour a week, and just talk and walk. What about something like that? Maybe you and a buddy want to just start, because we're men, you know? We want to start, like, working out. What if you worked out with a workout buddy for an hour once a week and just kind of saw what happened there? God could use that one-hour investment to change your life. But if that's too big of a risk, I would say there's a, a simpler way to do it. In two weeks, we're going to start promoting what we call life groups at New Life. And life groups are just gatherings of people, somewhere between 8 and 15 people, uh, who meet together for a certain period of time and share life together. And we're realizing, we're kind of rethinking what life groups are all about. We're realizing that life groups are a key way for us to take a big church and just form actual relationships in that church. And relationship building is going to be one of the key things we do in life groups from here on out. What if, if you didn't, if it's too big of a risk to invite someone to coffee once a week, what if you just looked around the room and said, who would I want to spend 12 weeks in a life group with? And then just said to them, hey, when life groups sign up start, what if we joined the same life group together? Here's the benefit of that. You're together for an hour and a half once a week, so you got that physical presence and emotional presence. You can choose to be vulnerable or not as you kind of get into your life group. And at the end of that 12 weeks, if you don't like the person, you just join a different group. <laughs> and you don't have to hurt their feelings. It's not like a breakup, it, you know? It could be a really good thing. So just something to think about. In a few weeks, we'll start promoting life groups. Just something to think about. Maybe I want to join a life group, and maybe you know someone you'd like to explore friendship with. Just say to them, let's join this life group together and just explore friendship in the context of that. And then as we wrap our time up together, I do want to say this. All the stuff we're talking about with friendship, it stems, it stems from a loving God who just has a desire to be with us and to know us and to love us. I was telling someone out in the lobby that uh, it was about 17 when I had a faith awakening experience and God just grabbed me and I knew that God was real and he loved me and I realized all the stuff in the Bible that God says that's good for my life, that's good for my marriage and my finances and my parenting, it all flows out of the fact that God genuinely loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. And for me, that was a game changer. It was like the light clicked on and, and I had this, what I can only call a faith awakening experience where God drew me to himself and he he ceased to be this distant deity over here that I came to church and worshiped once a week. And he started to be an active, loving, heavenly father who wanted to have a friendship with me and wanted to take a journey with me. And some of us are here right now and we've never, we've never taken God out of the category of distant deity and translated him into the category of loving heavenly father who wants to have a relationship with us. But when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he showed us how much he loved us. He loved us enough to leave heaven and come to earth and to to give his life on our behalf, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could, we could come back into a relationship with a God who loves us and knows us and has a plan for our lives. And I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you're here today and you've never started that type of relationship with God, I want to give you a chance to do that. I want to give you a chance to simply start this journey off with God, to, to move God from the periphery of your life and bring him into the center of your life. 
So I'm going to pray for all of us, and then partway through that prayer, I'm going to tell you, if you want to start a journey with Jesus, you can repeat a prayer after me, and you can either whisper it where you're sitting or, or just say it in your head, and that'll be the beginning of that journey with God. So let's join together in prayer. Lord, I realize that for some of us, this topic of friendship is old hat, and it's something that we, we know and we understand the value of and the benefit of, and for, for those of us in the room who that's, that's us today, I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the way that you are, are drawing us into authentic friendships. And then for other people, people like me, who are just now exploring what it looks like to move beyond friendly relationships into actual authentic friendships, for us, this feels like a big risk. And so I want to ask, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the strength to take a step of faith, to, to, to be the kind of friend that other people would want to engage with, and that you would, you would honor that, that you would form real, open, honest, deep, authentic friendships that would be life-enhancing for each of my friends in this room. As we continue to pray, I need, I need us to know that God loves God loves you. Every single person in this room, God loves you, and he couldn't love you more than he does right now, and God's inviting you. If you've never said yes to starting a journey with him, to, to having that faith-awakening experience where God goes from distant deity to, to personal heavenly father, you can start that journey right now. You can repeat these simple words after me, and it's not a magic spell. It's just a way to, to acknowledge to God that you want to take this journey with him. So you can whisper these words or say them in your head. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me so much that you, that you gave your life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe you want to have a relationship with me. Today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. And yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.